Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Grey Viking Games. Check them out with our affiliate code link in the description. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to talk about White Red in Innistrad Midnight Hunt, but I'm going to talk about it from a couple different directions. Last week I talked about Blue Red, and <laughs> I probably made it pretty clear that I'm not very into Red Ducks in this format. White Red, despite being the most successful red archetype in the format overall is not an exception to that for me. I've only drafted white red, straight white red, twice personally. First time I drafted it, I went two and three. The second time I drafted it, I went five and three. So I do technically have a winning record with it overall, but those experiences didn't make me want to revisit it. I think that the deck that went five and three was one where it felt like everything was going absolutely right in the draft. The colors were wide open and I got just a really, really high number of uh, really high quality, high rarity cards. And it didn't feel very easy to replicate. And it still felt a lot harder to actually win games with than I wanted. I mean, a lot of the games were kind of like a cakewalk where you just like draw well and run over people, but it still just felt like more could go wrong than I would expect for a deck that was like similarly high ranking relative to its archetype in a different archetype. Basically, I don't think where I'm at with white red is I am not completely unwilling to draft it, but if I start a draft with a premium red or white card, I don't expect that I will be playing a red-white deck. I expect that I will be attempting to play that red and white card, but that I still don't expect to want to have more than one or two mountains in my deck. For me to actually end up red-white, I need to start with a premium red or generally red-white card, or at least a premium card in one of those colors, and then continue to get past more premium cards without getting an on-ramp into multicolor blue or green. So, or, I mean, you know, like if I first pick a red-white bomb, then I might second pick another premium red-white card over an eccentric farmer. But I would still take an eccentric farmer over any red or white common. Uh, the best performing, incidentally, in red-white, shockingly, well, the, the best performing common in red-white is Neonate's Rush. Not Moonrager Slash and not any of the premium white commons. Not Search Party Captain or Gavany Trapper or anything. It's uh, Neonate's Rush, which uh, I've talked a few times in previous episodes about how unusually impressive the stats for Neonate's Rush are well, relative to how highly people value it. My primary takeaway about from Neonate's Rush being the most, the best performing common in red white is you shouldn't get excited about any of these commons. So if I first pick uh, like an angel fire ignition, uh, I think is what it's called, the, the rare, then I'm going to take an eccentric farmer, an organ hoarder, or an evolving wilds over a moonrager slash so that I can splash the angel fire ignition. But if I get past a sacred fire, then I'll take the Sacred Fire. 
and now I have an ignition and a sacred fire, and I'm still going to try to splash those cards into a deck with other colors. But if I then get past a Gavany Dawn Guard, then I'll take that, and now I have a card that's good and harder to splash. And so if from there I continue to get past good red and white cards, I'll keep taking them, and at some point it'll become clear that red-white's open and I'll draft red-white. But I could be four picks into red-white, and if I see a sign that blue or green is open and there's not a good red-white card in that pack or not an exceptional red-white card in that pack, I'll take any off-ramp into splashing instead of being base red-white. And I really genuinely recommend drafting red-white this way. I think that whenever you're drafting red-white based on having good red and white cards, you should be looking to pivot into using more colors also. You should be taking Evolving Wilds and Jack-O-Lanterns and Eccentric Farmers and Organ Hoarders over anything that's not premium uncommons or if you're deep enough. Like, the deeper you are, the lower the threshold needs to be to take the red-white card. So like early on, it needs to be like an uncommon bomb. Eventually you're like, okay, well, now I'm far enough that I would actually like this premium common removal spell. And then a few more picks in, if all you have is red and white, you get to the point where it's like, well, now I'm seeing this, you know, eccentric farmer, but there's also a search party captain. And it's just more likely that I'm going to use the search party captain so I'll take the search party captain. And at that point, you might be like, okay, now I've like missed the boat. Someone else is going to be doing this multicolor thing. And I'm going to just look for cheap red and white cards to enable this search party captain. And that point should exist. It should be possible for you to at some point say like, okay, I get it. Red, white's open. Especially if you're uh, in a draft where you table a good, like a premium red, or a premium red, white card. That's the best sign that you're just going to get it all and you can really move it. But for the most part, because there aren't any good commons, the whole archetype is just like acceptable removal, acceptable two drops and premium uncommons. That's it. That's the whole deck. Given that, it's easiest to just use the premium uncommons and rares and mythics in a deck that has good commons. It's not that all of the commons in red and white are unplayable, it's that they're all interchangeable two drops, like exactly interchangeable two drops. There are are some one drops that are fine. It's okay to play Lunark better and Gavany Trapper, Volder and Stinger. But really what you're getting out of commons is Neonate Thrush, Moonrager Slash, Burn the Accursed, Bless Defiance, and then mostly just like Interchangeable two drops, Cathar's Commando, Candlegrove Witch, Festival Crasher, and Lamhold Harrier. Commando, Witch, and Festival Crasher all have win rates within 0.1% of each other. And then Lamhold Harrier is like a fraction of a percent below them. And I think as far as just like if you're drafting red-white, like what are the traps to avoid? What are the things to know when you're drafting? How do you draft this? It's prioritize. All of the great uncommons, especially the uncommon three drops, because you're not going to get common three drops that you want to play. So the value of over-replacement on the threes is huge, and the value of a replacement of an uncommon two is like nothing. The uncommon twos aren't better than common twos. Well, Thermo Alchemist is a little better, but whatever. You really want to get those like the Cavaliers and the Dawn Guards. If you have to play 
a common three. Well, you, I mean, you want your common three mana creature to be search party captain. You want to have a one or two drop that lets you play a search party captain on turn three. And if you don't, failing that, uh, the next best common is Brimstone Vandal, which is considerably ahead of the others. I would consider it not disastrous, but bad if you have to put Morning Patrol in your deck. And then you really don't want to play the common three twos. There are like three of them. They're all bad. And then you can also play Gavney Silversmith, Famished Foragers, and in a pinch, you can play Clarion Cathars, which is a card that I like a lot in white black and white green, but I don't think it's aggressive enough for red white and it's just like not good enough for uh, blue white. But uh, because green white really values having the two different bodies with different powers to get coven and white black really wants the one one token to sacrifice it's good in those decks but they're just you don't really want another four drop and it's not better than the other ones you have access to in red white so you would prefer not to play it basically i think the archetype is pretty simple like the biggest trap is like trying to have a smooth curve rather than just taking all of the twos over all of the common threes so that you don't put the common threes in your deck. Like the card is like 10% better for a full mana more. So even if you already have seven two drops, you'd rather just have an eighth two drop instead of a three drop, just in case you happen to draw it uh, as your two. The the three the threes are just not worth an extra mana. That said, I I just, I don't think that there's, <laughs> I, I think red white's just really straightforward to draft as red white. You should prioritize Rush and Slash over every common creature. You should prioritize them under every good uncommon. You should be prioritizing the removal over the tricks. The tricks are like acceptable, but not great. For the most part, you're like not really looking to get into combat because you want to just, you want to use removal to get through. You don't have enough keywords. Like you don't have a common lifelink creature and you don't have playable equipment. So you're not doing like what red white has been doing in previous archetypes where you're somehow adding extra stats to creatures with keywords or like putting equipment on evasive creatures. Like you just, you don't have very much fly. You, don't, you just don't have a lot of keywords. You don't have much flying or first strike or lifelink. And so you end up just trying to have creatures that, have a good rate, but your creatures don't really have a good rate. All you really have going for you is like an abundance of two drops, a decent amount of reach, and some removal. And then these like weird three mana value uncommons, which I guess this is all to say this is why I just don't really understand the draw to this archetype, because usually red white is offering you like creatures with keywords that you can use these like aggressive cards in conjunction with that's not present. The best you can do is just like play some creatures, play some removal spells and attack. So basically I think root coil creeper is one of the best red and white uncommons. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, root coil creeper is the blue green uncommon this late in the format. I'm assuming that I'm speaking as if people are familiar with most of the cards, root coil creeper might be not, might not be a card you're thinking about when I'm talking about red, white. So Root Coil Creeper, the blue-green 2-2 that can tap for a man of any color and can tap for two mana to play things out of the graveyard and can uh, spend a blue and a green in exile itself to get a flashback card from exile back into your hand. 
is really good with Angel Fire Ignition and Sacred Fire, which are two of the best reasons to put red and white cards in your deck. So a lot of the time that I draft a red or white card, it is exactly one of those two cards because it plays well with Root Coil Creeper and because Root Coil Creeper helps me have a mana base that can cast those cards. So basically, when I saw that red-white won the poll for this week's uh, topic, I was really tempted to focus this whole uh, episode on what do you do if you open a red-white card? Well, you take it and then you look for uh, eccentric farmers. And I decided that I should acknowledge that some portion of the time you can actually draft red-white. That portion should be very small. And I do think that like if I draft Angel Fire Ignition, I'm close to 90% to have a blue or green card in my deck at the end of the draft. And probably like 80% to have both blue and green cards in my deck. Assuming that the Angel Fire Ignition is in my deck. I, what I wanted to take the opportunity to do is to revisit blue-green a little bit, but to focus on multicolor blue-green. Because when I talked about blue-green previously, I had had good experiences with straight blue-green as a tempo deck, and I hadn't had good experiences with multicolor blue-green. Now that some time has passed, I've actually had a good number of very good experiences with multicolor blue-green, often using Angel Fire Ignition specifically. And I do think that it's really good. And I think that the key, I mean, it it's very much about self-milling as a way to enable your mana by making sure that your uh, eccentric farmers have a higher chance of having the land that you're looking for, possibly because you've already milled it with something else. Also making it more likely that you see any jack-o'-lanterns that you've drafted. You can also potentially mill past the festival, which is an acceptable playable if you're far enough into this space. And I think that I had previously been viewing Root Coil Creeper primarily as like a mana creature, but I think that like Root Coil Creeper working with flashback cards in a meaningful way is pretty real. And uh, that it's really good with like Seize the Storm, Angel Fire Ignition, and incidentally, not red or white, but Croaking Counterpart. I think that a large portion of the time it's good to draft to try to take advantage of all this stuff and to use red cards, particularly like Moonrager slash Neonates Rush and Burn the Accursed, a little bit more than I had been using them by planning to splash them into blue and green decks. I think that because milling yourself is an effective part of fixing your mana and that doing stuff with these flashback cards is valuable and effective, that otherworldly gaze and tapping at the window are pretty good if you're in this space. Uh, you don't want a lot of tapping at the windows because they're expensive. So then that leads to uh, electric revelation, which is more expensive, more clunky. You want fewer of them. So like I kind of, if I have a lot of graveyard stuff, then I want multiple otherworldly gazes. Like I can get far enough into it that I just want as many otherworldly gazes as I can get because I get to the point where my whole grave, my whole deck is like operating out of the graveyard and it's just drawing cards. Uh, tapping at the window is clunky enough that I feel like I never really want more than one of them. And then Electric Revelation is clunky enough that like I, I've tried it recently and it has felt too slow. I think 
that there are spots where you can play it because you're like deep in this space and low on this like low on stuff to make sure that you don't flood out but for the most part you would prefer to avoid it i've learned some other things like larder zombie isn't really where you want to be in these decks because you don't care enough about what you draw you want to build your deck such that you always have stuff to spend your mana on and your graveyard is filling naturally and so you don't want to play a card whose sole purpose is to like slowly mill you i guess it can block but it doesn't do that like in a way that you need and it just like isn't very effective at being larder zombie because you don't have a lot of tokens in these decks you often want to look for a low creature count high spell count to use these the storm well to have a bunch of flashback stuff you don't necessarily care if tapping at the window isn't great at hitting creatures as long as most or all of your non-creature spells are flashback then you're getting you're getting value whether you hit a creature or a flashback spell similarly while I, uh, you know, love cards like Startle and Flip the Switch and Revenge of the Drown, in the like tempo versions of Blue Green, I'm a little bit lower in some of the like more wild multicolor Blue Green decks because I care about milling myself, and those cards aren't profitable to mill, and so I would just rather have higher density of cards that are active in the graveyard. Yeah, basically, long story short, there are two ways to approach uh, drafting when you start with a good red or white card. I But that obviously it's not that you just choose one of them when you start the draft and force that. You'll want to navigate uh, into one of these throughout the first half of the first pack. By default, you should be looking for any excuse to branch into other colors, but if you are getting past red and white cards, you can stick with it. And what you want to do is anytime you're passing a notable red or white card of any sort, especially red card, uh, just through the first four or five picks, just be sure to remember all of the notable red cards that you pass. And then when you see the pack's like ninth through 12th pick, that'll tell you how contested red is. And if red is at all contested, then you shouldn't fight over it because I don't think red supports two drafters at a table. The reason I'm always looking to get out before then is that I want to be in a position where I'm not like committed to trying to fight over red-white if red isn't open. And if I'm tabling everything, then like the fact that I passed it didn't cost me anything because it came back to me. And now I know that it's safe to draft it. And then I can like move in and actually draft what red, white through the rest of the pack. Whereas if I were to like take a festival crasher forth because it's the best red and white card, I probably don't table anything that I need. And I don't know if I'm fighting somebody else. Whereas if that festival crasher, I take an Evolving Wilds over it and just see if it comes back. If it comes back, then I'll be happy to be in red. And if it doesn't come back, then I'm positioned to follow whatever the table tells me to do, transition uh, out of looking for red cards, but still be in a position to take advantage of the powerful red or white card that I drafted that put me in this spot to begin with. So that is how I think you should draft red, white in this format. So let's open this up to questions from 
Twitch chat. Do you have any questions either about kind of the process that I'm talking about, or I'm also happy to field any general questions about drafting red-white or even uh, multicolored decks that are, you know, blue-green based and can include red-white. If I haven't covered them, drop them in chat. And uh, this is when I thank my new patrons, uh, but there are no new patrons this week. So thank you to all 100 uh, existing patrons. Really appreciate the support. If anyone else is interested in uh, joining and getting a shout out next week, patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Any tips for mulliganing when going for more colors um, or what's a keepable hand? Yeah, this is a little bit tricky. Obviously, like, you don't want to keep... Uh, <laughs> the last mistake that I made was keeping a hand that only had uh, lands of a single color. If you're playing a lot of colors, you want to make sure that your hand has a few different colors right away so that you're not looking for all of the different pieces. So you want to make sure, like, you don't want to keep a hand that has, like, you know, two or three of a single land. You want to make sure that you have at least two, preferably three different land types, depending on how diverse your uh, color situation is. Like, if you're playing five colors, you probably want to have, like, three different colors in your hand, unless it's like, oh, I'm blue-green, but I'm splashing, like, three different cards or something. And that if if most of your deck can be cast with blue and green, and you have a forest and an island, you're probably good. But if you're more ambitious, you want to make sure that you have like access to a better spread. You also want to just generally make sure that there's a card in your hand that you can cast. And then it's just like, all right, how many things need to go right for me to cast this? How many cards are there that I can draw that I couldn't cast? Like, is this hand likely to let me spend my mana, cast my spells or not? And then secondarily, how long is this going to take to set up? Will I just die if my opponent plays a two drop and a three drop? So most of the time you're looking for, you know, oh, this has like two colors of mana, three lands, and like an eccentric farmer, I'm going to be good to go. Or uh, this has like two different colors of lands and a pumpkin and a two drop and a three drop. This will work out. It's pretty easy to get hands like that. So if you're just like, Okay, forest, forest, mountain, when I have one red card in my deck, and then I have like two blue cards and like a green 3-1 creature, and like I don't have any way to find an island, I don't have a pumpkin, and I need to find an island in the first like three turns or I'm going to lose, you likely have to mulligan that, but it's going to depend on like, okay, well, how many cards are there in my deck that can find this blue mana for me? If you have like a lot of evolving wilds and eccentric farmers, you're like, well, actually, it's pretty hard for me to fail to draw a way to get blue in the next three turns, then you can keep. So the other tricky part about answering this is it really depends on how good the fixing is in your deck. Like some decks are going to have to rely more on mulliganing to fix, whereas others are just like, I can keep whatever. And it's like almost impossible for me not to draw fixing. That is to say it depends. But hopefully there was something in there that uh, gave you a little bit to work with. Next question. How many jack-o'-lanterns do you want in your multicolored decks? And what is your limit generally? I've played up to four. I have also played fewer than that when I... Like, I, I've also had jack-o'-lanterns in my sideboard while playing multicolored decks. So it definitely depends on how much you're milling yourself, how good you are at, like, discarding them if you draw them just how greedy your mana is, 
obviously the more like ludicrous bombs you have that you can uh, splash but need a jack-o'-lantern to like be able to support, the more jack-o'-lanterns you want to play. So for example, I'm more likely to play a lot of jack-o'-lanterns when I'm trying to splash Laisa in a green-white deck. Whereas if I can get away with not playing jack-o'-lanterns, I will happily play like the smallest number that I need to make my mana work more reliably. Jack-o'-lantern is a necessary evil, not a feature. So this is the kind of thing that like it's hard to give exact numbers for. You're going to have to like kind of learn to feel it out. But the answer is play as many as you have to, but don't play more than you have to and get good at assessing how many you need, unfortunately. Next question. How do you factor eccentric farmer into your color source counts when you play multicolored decks? This is another one that uh, is context dependent because it depends on how many other ways you have to mill yourself, how many evolving wilds you have specifically, because if you've drawn an evolving wild, then farmers guaranteed to get you whatever you want, and how many lands of the color you're trying to count it as you're playing. So like if I'm playing blue-green and I have eight forests and nine islands, I'm going to straight up count eccentric farmer as a blue source, because if I imagine that I'm, uh, I have three lands in play and I'm playing Eccentric Farmer, then it's like I've already drawn like 10 cards. I'm looking at three more. Like I basically have to either hit an island or have dug close enough that I'm going to hit once very soon. Like it's just so hard not to have blue by turn four if I have nine islands in my deck and I've cast an eccentric farmer. Whereas if I like put a mountain in my deck and I have three eccentric farmers and no other self mill and no evolving wilds, it's like, I mean, this eccentric farmer's three more looks to find that one mountain, but like realistically, it's not going to like get me there very often. So it counts as a pretty small fraction. So <laughs> it depends. And the range is anywhere from, oh, there are three Evolving Wilds in my deck, and I'm going to be specifically looking for Evolving Wilds when I mulligan, because it means that all of my farmers are perfect fixing, and any hand with an Evolving Wild can basically cast all my spells, is just like a completely different situation from, I don't have any Evolving Wilds, and I don't have other self mill, and I'm viewing this eccentric farmer basically the same way that you would view an Organ Hoarder. Uh, which is, you know, definitely not that in terms of like what it means for your fixing. So there isn't a number. You just have to like think about how likely is it that you'll get the color that you're looking for if you draw a farmer. This question was uh, asked with the understanding that I may have already touched on it. Uh, it's what's the best card or sign that red, white, like that you should move into red, white. And the answer is... Not so much, oh, if you see, you know, exactly Sacred Fire, then you should move in. It's really just if you see any red-white card very late. It's much more about, like, how late are you seeing the thing that goes in this deck than it is how great is the thing. When you're drafting blue or black that have, like, a lot of good cards, sometimes you'll see like a pretty solid card, say like a flip the switch, uh, kind of late. And maybe that means it's open, or maybe it means that this pack had three better blue cards than flip the switch. Whereas with a red-white card, 
there are so few good red-white cards that if you see one, if you see like just whatever would have been likely, like any notable red or white card was probably the best red or white card in its pack. And so if you see it like sixth, even if it's like flip the switch quality or lower, it's like a stronger sign that no one else took red or white cards because it's more likely that it was the best card. And if all you need to know is, is anyone else taking these things, a weaker card can be a stronger sign that no one else is taking it. But again, you need to make sure that it's actually no one taking it. Whereas with a blue, like with flip the switch, you're fine if like, well, one person's fighting me for blue or two people are fighting me for blue. It's, is everyone in blue? Am I literally not going to see blue cards? So when the power level and the number of playables is this imbalanced, you are looking for different things. But what you're looking for is just like, are these packs going in such a way that I think that there is like at most one other person who's going to be fighting me for these cards? Is there is there something late that someone would have taken? If yes, great. If I'm just like not seeing a lot of stuff, like if red isn't the most prominent color toward the middle of the pack, then people are probably taking the cards too much and I don't want a piece of it. Next up is Rem Carlos. That's the red, white, rare two, three flyer card you value highly. And if so, does it push you toward aggro rather than multicolor? Yes to both. It is a good card that is much better in aggro than multicolor. I consider it not as good as the Cavalier. I think that's the name. The whatever the um the uncommon three 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 drop trampled. I, I think the uncommon is better than the rare. I think the uncommon is also better in slow decks than the rare is in slow decks. Like I think the rare is more aggressive and weaker, but still very good. And I'll take it, but I'm not going to take it over premium common. Like I would take Organ Hoarder over um, Carlos. I would also take Organ Hoarder over Sunrise Cavalier. So I, I guess that's to say I. I'm not looking to first pick Rem Carlos, but I'm, uh, Rem Carlos is basically the kind of card where like, if I'm seeing it around fourth, I'd say that that's a pretty good sign that, you know, at least those people are like planning to stay out. And so I'm going to get like at least half the table guaranteed. And that to me is a pretty strong sign that I should be like dipping my toes in and, you know, likely just solidifying red, white aggro. If I'm in a space to do that, I'm obviously not going to like give up another a good start to a different deck. So this is to say that I don't expect that I'm going to be the player to end up with Ren Carlos very often. Uh, most of the time, I'm going to see it first or second pick, and I'm going to pass it because it's not very good in multicolor decks. Whereas the red white cards that I'm willing to take early are good in multicolor decks, and so that's why Ren Carlos is just like most of the time not a card that's going to get me in like it's just not a card that i need to like know how to draft because the answer is i pass it when i realistically expect to see it next question is a little bit more general but i'll try to take it i, I do think it's an interesting question so this question is how do you approach reevaluating a set as it matures and other players start drafting it differently for example uh players learning to draft demir uh when they didn't at the start so in this format for the first week or two it was very reasonable to force Demir, and it was this, like most of the strongest cards, pretty easy to draft deck that was uh, generally open enough that you could just take blue and black cards by default, and it would go well. And now, 
players generally know that the blue and black cards are good such that I end up blue and black pretty rarely. So I do think that it's important to reevaluate. And um, if you're drafting frequently to pay attention to how things are changing, I think that I have a lot of evidence at this point that arena adjusts slowly, not, not at all. So, I mean, for myself right now, I've been basically seeing that the good cards are more contested. I, th- I think that people have, who watch me throughout different formats have probably noticed that the later in a format we get, the more likely I am to draft multicolor. <laughs> and I don't know if people's perception is that I just like to figure out how to draft multicolor eventually, or I like feel like I should try other stuff and then I get bored and start drafting multicolor because it's fun or something. What I believe is going on early on, there's stuff that's being undervalued that I can take and exploit, like people not realizing what the good thing is. And then people start to figure out what the good thing is. And then I still like see if that's open, try to draft it if I can, but then I want to be flexible about moving out if I have to fight over it. And I don't like to give up picks if I can avoid it. So I start with the good thing that's heavily contested. And then I try to, rather than pivoting into a completely different deck, try to transition into something that can use those cards while also moving out into a space where I'm not going to have to like struggle for playables. So my my personal solution to how do you reevaluate and navigate when everyone wants the same cards is to just try to draft such that I can use all the good cards that I see by prioritizing fixing and figuring out how to play multicolor decks. Uh, is that actually the perfect way to adjust? I don't know. Works for me. I think there are other good players who do it differently, though, and have success doing it differently. I mean, you can also just... I don't know, find find something good that other people aren't doing. But my approach is generally like try to stick with the same algorithm, but have a robust enough algorithm that it has like fallbacks into how I cascade into like more open space. Like try to be here. If that's blocked, go the next step down in priority and incorporate the stuff that I had from before. A little rambly, but hopefully that was an answer to that question. Next question. So I mentioned that white red was the highest win rate red archetype. And the question is why? Which is a great question. White's not the best color. So why is it the best to pair with red? I think that the answer is that the red and white gold cards are great. I I think that's like basically the whole answer. I think red and white are both like red, white isn't drafted all that much. Red and white like aren't very contested. Uh, people, you know, as, as mentioned, people have learned that blue and black are like pretty good. So when you are drafting red cards, if you pair red cards with say blue cards, then you have a bunch of uh, gold cards that are two mana flashback spells that don't really do anything most of the time. The uh, the one that looks at cards to put a card in your hand and the fork uh, are just much, much, much weaker limited cards than Sacred Fire and Angel Fire Ignition. And uh, Sunrise Cavalier is like way better than the Skrelix. And Rem Carlos is 
like a good aggro card, whereas the red, white, gold card is really bad. So when you get just like an entire infusion of like good gold cards instead of bad gold cards in uh, a seat where like it's open and you can expect to see like two to four of those gold cards uh, when the draft is going really well, you're going to win a lot more. I think that's just the, the whole answer. I think when the seat's open, the gold cards are so good that they reward you for being able to use them. The red cards themselves kind of play pretty similarly with any other color. So that's that's my guess there. Next question. What do you think of Geist Flame Reservoir? Its stats in red-white aren't very good. I haven't played it very much myself. I think I think it's slow. I have seen decks where it looked pretty good. I think that it's best in like red-black all removal. Obviously not literally all removal, but like the more removal the better. And I think that it's basically not good anywhere else. I think that like if you're red blue, you should have enough to spend your mana on without it. If you're red white, you shouldn't have enough spells slash you should be more aggressive. If you're red green, you should probably just drop and draft again. Um, and if you're red black, then it's exactly what you're looking for. Uh, you're really good at buying time and you're looking for card advantage. And yeah, I think that's the place for it. Next question. How aggressively should I be taking Burn the Accursed? Is there a limit on how many you'd play in the mono true drop deck you were describing? I think that you should be taking it uh, lower than um, Moonrager, or Neonate's Rush and Moonrager's Slash, lower than Search Party Captain and Gavany Silversmith but possibly over the two drops because they're so interchangeable. Like it's better if you have the best ones, but it doesn't matter very much. And I'd probably take it below Lunark Veteran, but above Gavney Trapper and Voldaren uh, Stinger. As far as a limit, I would, I mean, if it's your only thing that costs more than four and you don't have too many fours, it's probably okay to play as many as like three of them. Hard to imagine more than that. And uh, you want to be careful as you start playing other card, other expensive cards, but you don't really want to play very many other expensive cards. Next question is about the red one mana trick that gives plus two plus two or destroys an artifact. There are versions of the deck that are aggressive enough that they could play it. I think that I would basically only do that if I were trying to play like 15 lands and specifically looking for like a rock bottom curve and like I were very, very aggressive. For the most part, I don't think you should, like I think, only really, really exceptional creature-heavy decks that are a little low on removal and trying to have a very, very low curve and low land count want to play it. So for the most part, just don't. Next question is, do I have example decks? Not handy and not for red-white. My notes that are available on Patreon uh, do um, include a sketch of like the comments that I'm looking for and what kind of curve I'm expecting. That's sort of like an example. Question is about Famished Foragers. Um, is it a good card in these decks? Yeah, I think it's fine. I don't. I think it's like worse than Gavany Silversmith and Search Party Captain, but I think it's better than Clara and Cathars. I think that it has substantial diminishing returns because uh, I think a lot of its strength obviously comes from its activated ability. I think having its access to the activated ability is nice, but like. I don't really want to play a third copy. I think it's fine to play two of them if you don't have a lot of other fours, but you want to keep like your four drops kind of to a minimum. Like it's a strong card 
in a role that the doctor doesn't really want a lot of because you just like don't want a lot of fours and Gavin Silversmith's higher like immediate impact and better for your strategy. But like discarding lands that you don't flood out is like pretty strong and important if you end up like going long and it plays pretty well with the uncommons that want you to the um, like Gavin Dawnguard and uh sunrise cavalier that are happy to have you just like oh i'm not going to spend my mana this turn i'll go to night i'll use my guy to like discard some lands and find some spells or whatever but it's not a priority they go late enough that you'll get as many as you need most of the time play one or two to round out your deck but don't like think of it as some as any kind of sign or take it aggressively all right i think think that's going to cover it for this week I know this was a little bit weird in terms of like, if you want to know how to draft red, white, how about don't um, and draft this other deck instead. But uh, hopefully I managed to cover enough about uh, both approaches. I know that previews for the next set are starting tomorrow uh, at the time of recording. I haven't, um, I'm not totally up on the exact preview schedule and when I'm going to be switching gears to uh, looking ahead to Crimson Vow versus finishing out Midnight Hunt. I suspect uh, next week will be Midnight Hunt again. I don't think we're going to have enough information to switch over yet, but maybe the following week will start looking. Uh, I, I don't know yet. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back next week.